Business Diplomacy Today, the podcast about international relations and geopolitics from a business perspective. We help you anticipate the changing political and societal trends that influence your business. Hello and welcome to Business Diplomacy Today. My name is Matthias Katon. I'm your host. And today we will talk about social media in the world of global diplomacy, how it is being used by the world's leaders, whether it makes a difference or not, and what it means for CEOs and company leaders, whether they should get involved in this field as well or better not. To talk about these issues, I am joined today by a great person, Matthias Lüfkens. Matthias is, among other things, a former colleague of mine. We used to work together at the World Economic Forum more than a decade ago, where Matthias was the head of digital media, and he was the driving force behind the social media strategy of the World Economic Forum, opening up events such as Davos for social media and working with our participants there, but also the other parts of the institution on leveraging and using social media to spread messages and information. He has since moved on, has done many things. He is currently a social media architect at Digitips, which is a boutique PR agency that advises governments, international organizations and corporations on how to best use social media. He is also the creator of Triplomacy, which is a study that looks at how governments and international organizations use digital platforms. That has been going on for about 10 years, if I'm not mistaken, and we will talk about this in more detail, of course, in this episode. And then, originally, he's a, he's a journalist, and he has worked as such for different outlets, such as the Daily Telegraph, Agence France Presse, and Libération. And interestingly enough, he is also interested in uh, traveling and he founded your, In Your Pocket, which is an English language city guide series and Europe's leading provider of city information. So if you're into traveling, that might also be worth checking out. Matthias, it's great to speak to you again. Welcome to the show. Great to talk to you, Matthias. Thank you so much for having me. So... Let's begin. Social media. And uh, as I said, when we met at the World Economic Forum more than um, yeah, about 12 years or so ago in a digital age, uh, that is, of course, uh, like another millennium almost. Uh, times were different. And many things that we probably take for granted nowadays, they were then still in its uh, infancy. Let me ask you, Matthias, since when do you have a Twitter account? I opened my Twitter account exactly uh, 15 years ago in, I think, in the beginning of July 2007. So it'll be, you know, 15 years. Uh, so I'm very proud of being, uh, having been one of the early adopters. Uh, actually, I did create the uh, Twitter account of the World Economic Forum in April 2007, Uh, and then finally, I found my voice a couple of months later. Interesting. So now I think the, the Twitter account of the World Economic Forum has uh, how many followers? Several million, I suppose. When I left, we had 1.5 million. I think now they have three or four million. So, you know, very, very successful how the team continued really kind of to, to drive, you know, to become actually the World Economic Forum has become a digital a publisher uh, you know through its blog and its social media presence you know it, it is becoming a uh, it has become a media company 
Back in those uh, times, of course, uh, not many of the world's leaders probably had uh, social media accounts. It was still at its uh, beginning. Now this has changed, of course. Almost every senior politician will have one or several of these accounts, whether they are uh, self-run or run by some sort of a, a team in the background. But maybe you can highlight how this has changed the landscape of international communication in the past decade. I mean, it has been an absolutely fascinating ride. I remember in 2008 uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, there, there were already leaders who were basically leading and uh, cutting edge um, trialing Twitter, um, namely Queen Rania uh, of Jordan and also Bill Gates. And I remember an interesting exchange between Queen Rania greeting Bill Gates via Twitter Saying, looking forward to seeing you uh, in Davos. So, so this is this is really interesting. And then in 2011, we had the first, I would say, a seminal digital diplomacy exchange between then Swedish Foreign Minister Karl Bildt and his Bahraini counterpart Al Khalifa. And basically, Bill Gates used Twitter to publicly send uh, an at reply to his uh, counterpart in Bahrain uh, saying I'm you know I would like to speak to you I'd like to get in touch with you on a matter so that tweet obviously caught the world's attention um, because everybody wanted to know what do these two people want to talk about and why did Carl Bildt use Twitter uh, and not the traditional uh, diplomatic channels, which is then through the Swedish ambassador uh, to the, the government of Bahrain. So that was really interesting. You, you saw leaders using digital, these dig new digital channels personally. Fast forward to 2022. Today, 98% of all the 193 UN member uh, states have an official presence on Twitter. There's only three countries in the world um, where the government does not use Twitter, and that is Laos, Turkmenistan, and obviously uh, North Korea. But every other government uh, in the world has a, a presence, often an institutional presence, or also then the presence of the head of government or the head of state, the prime minister or the, the president. So. Uh, Twitter is really the digital diplomacy network. It's not the biggest social network, but uh, it is the network where leaders can basically communicate with each other or just simply broadcast their point of view. And, you know, it has, as we know, you know, really become a global phenomenon. There are other platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we even have some world leaders uh, already on TikTok um, so, you know, some are really kind of using these new channels to reach out to their communities. Facebook, for example, is mainly used for a home audience and less used uh, to you know, get in touch with other international peers. It's interesting that you started out by highlighting some exchanges. So rather than using uh, social media or Twitter in this case as a, um, as a megaphone to push out uh, opinions, push out uh, messages, press releases, you highlighted two instances where two world leaders actually engaged in a dialogue, which you know, at the end of the day is what makes social media social, I, I would say. Is that now when we fast forward to 2022, is that more common now or is it still very much the exception compared to the traditional let's push out the press release type of usage? Yeah, unfortunately, it is more uh, the exception than the rule. 
um, world leaders, um, I mean, foreign ministries uh, especially, follow each other on Twitter, but they rarely engage in, you know, public dialogue. Um, you know, sometimes you can engineer these conversations, but, you know, more often than not, um, they'll just tag each other, but uh, there is no kind of this personal exchange, and those exchanges are really few and far between. I wish there would be much more of this, um, because we know some of them are, uh, you know, they are friends. So, you know, uh, I would love to see more of that uh, uh, Twitter chit chat. Is it? Um, what do you? Why do you think that is not the case? Is it uh, risk aversion and trying not to make a mistake, or is it because most of these accounts are actually not run by the politician themselves? They are run by some media team. I think this is exactly the the problem. The uh, most social media channels are now run by teams. Uh, they will decide, you know, if we we have a picture, a visual, a video, uh, etc. How will when will we release? So uh, very few leaders actually manage the accounts themselves, and you can see who who is managing the uh, the accounts themselves. For example, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, uh, Xavier Bettel, is the Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba is, and obviously the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. And her use is very, very interesting. She basically will sit down at the end of the day after having put her daughter to bed. She will basically sit on the sofa uh, in her home and just whip out her mobile phone and go live on Facebook, sometimes on Instagram. These are impromptu lives where she is without any advisor, without her uh, media spokesperson. And she will basically give an update on the government's work, what the government is working on, what has been achieved and, you know, what uh, are the plans for, for next week. So it's really kind of a, a very private conversation, but she will rarely take questions, you know, from the audience. There will be thousands of people watching this and, you know, sending her hearts and love and, you know, because it's a great way to, to engage, but uh, it's still one too many. It's, it, you mm. know, it's really difficult to have a conversation with such large audiences. But yeah. those are examples to follow. I think it is really important, you know, to do that. She also does, obviously, you know, the traditional press conference and so on with the, the media. But the, just, you know, having that personal connection. And the Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, he has done that, you know, for a while now, you know, sitting down also on Facebook, Facebook Live, and basically explaining what the Ukrainian foreign ministry has been up to uh, in Ukrainian, so too is Ukrainian followers. Since Russia's aggression against mm. Ukraine, he has also taken to Twitter to do it in English, to brief basically that global audience, which is really present on Twitter. You know, uh, And this is really key for Twitter. You have influencers, you have a global English-speaking audience, and that's why it is really essential to be present and to be personally present. What do you think makes it more likely that leaders try this personal approach? Is it because they are younger? And I think, I mean, Jacinta Ardern, for sure, she is uh, comparatively young among her peers. Dimitri Kuleva, I'm not sure, but I think he's also quite young. Um, so is that a factor or is it the size of the countries? I mean, all the examples that you mentioned are smaller countries. None of the G7, for example, is there. Does it make it more likely that they will have this more hands-off, relaxed, uh, direct approach? This is a good question. I do believe it, you know, it's, it is probably an age issue because all the, these new leaders 
the new leaders who understand social media, also the president of uh, Ecuador, uh, Nayib Bukele, they're all uh, in their late 30s, early 40s. Uh, so they've grown up with social media compared to most of the G7 leaders who, uh, well, they haven't grown up with the social media. And, you know, former German Chancellor Angela Merkel, you know, even deleted her personal Facebook account because, you know, she wasn't running it uh, herself and she didn't see any, any point. Although yeah. she loved texting, you know, she was communicating via text with her, her staff, you know, um, her Twitter account, which is hers, Angela, at Angela Merkel, the party has this account, but she never uh, really adopted it. So I wish, you know, uh, politicians would really, you know, engage more personally on social media and not only for election campaigns. During election campaigns, you will see them, you know, active on TikTok, active, you know, uh, doing interviews on social media. But but then once elected, you know, the, the communication will go very traditional mm through press conferences and statements. So what you're saying is that, you know, it really pays off if you're making an effort to be constantly present on some of these platforms, if you're personal, if you share things, if it's not too scripted or, you know, too technical or, you know, just reposting links to a press release. Does it really, does Twitter diplomacy, uh, let's take this as a kind of a placeholder because I think it doesn't have to be on Twitter, it can also be on, on other platforms, but social media diplomacy, does it really have an impact or is it just like a, a nice thing that makes politicians seem more relatable, more, you know, down to earth? I think it does have an impact. Uh, Jacinda Ardern was re-elected, maybe not because of... Uh, you know, because of her Facebook lives, but it's part of it. There is some Jacinda mania. Look at the example of uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. He is, since the beginning of Russia's aggression, he is addressing the population via, he does it live on Telegram. So he basically records live videos, which are then shared on Telegram, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, not on Twitter, interestingly enough, but uh, where he, you know, most of the, his, his speeches are scripted. Uh, I wonder if, you know, if he actually has a prompter, but it's basically him. He has shown just, you know, two days after the aggression, he went out of the presidential palace holding the mobile telephone himself to show that, you know, he was there with the prime minister, Denis Michal, the head of the, his fraction in parliament and his advisor, they were basically there in Kiev in the presidential palace. And, you know, for the past, you know, three, four months, he has continued this. And I believe the recent vote to accept Ukraine as an accession candidate to the European Union was largely influenced by the way the Ukrainian president has used social media, you know, really kind of to, to rally mm global support. Um, and of, obviously, it has also helped that, you know, through the pandemic, world leaders are now used to Zoom calls. And, um, you know, so in that way, it was quite interesting to see that he was, he has been speaking to, I think, uh, what must now be 40 to 50 different parliaments in the world, directly addressing the decision makers in those uh, parliaments. So this is uh, the kind of digital diplomacy, you know, that I would love to see more, more of. Uh, in this case, obviously, there, you know, we have a war 
you know, Ukraine is fighting uh, a war to, you know, defend itself against Russia's aggression. But uh, this kind of, you know, kind of personal relationship that you can have on social media, I think this is absolutely exemplary. And uh, I often tell people, well, you know, you'll just have to do a Zelensky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is certainly um, a great example. And he has also become probably one of the reasons because of that he's become some sort of a, a global hero or a poster child. Now, it's hard to imagine uh, having uh, Vladimir Putin tweeting. Um, I don't know if he has a Twitter account, but if he does, it's probably not him who is tweeting there. But in, could you imagine a situation where maybe in the future we would have some kind of conflict? Maybe not a war uh, per se, but some kind of a conflict between two countries with two more social media inclined uh, heads of government or heads of state. And they kind of actually engaging in some sort of Twitter diplomacy to solve that, uh, resolve that issue. Would that be possible as well, theoretically? I think it is, yes. So, you know, what is interesting in the case of uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Putin is one of the... G20 leaders with Xi Jinping of China and uh, Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, who does not have any personal uh, social media account, neither on Twitter or other platforms. So, um, you know, it's really kind of, uh, you know, for me, Ukraine and Volodymyr, uh, thanks to Volodymyr Zelensky, who's the first really kind of the digital warrior of his country, Ukraine has won the war of communication against Russia. Russia is very active through its embassies, through its foreign ministries, on Western social media platforms, um, Twitter, Facebook, very active uh, to push their narrative. But, you know, I believe, you know, Ukraine has uh, the upper hand and also on Telegram, which is widely used in the former uh, Soviet republics. Now, Can we create peace on social media? Yes. You know, I have, you know, this vision of two leaders basically engaging, you know, more positively, maybe duetting on TikTok. That's a feature where you have, you know, videos, uh, one video reply to another video, or maybe an Instagram live where, you know, you have both leaders then chatting on Facebook live. I wish we would like, you know, we could see that. What I can tell you, it has happened when... After the Abraham Accords, which basically sealed diplomatic relations between Israel and a number of states in the in the Gulf, a both the foreign ministries started following each other. So that was, you know, kind of a consequence, of course, of the uh, establishment of diplomatic relations, also the digital relations, and the foreign ministry of Israel created an Instagram filter where you had the flags of uh, Bahrain and the UAE and Israel that you basically could kind of paste over your over your face when taking a selfie. And this is just an amazing peace filter, if you want, mm. um, really to show that not only the governments are now talking to each other, but we really are, we're, we're trying to bring the citizens together. And, and the use of that filter, I found very, very innovative, you know, to really kind of show, you know, we have to uh, mend relations. We have to bring especially the, the people together. And there's no better way to do that than on, on social media. A bold prediction. The world in 10 years. So we have two fixed uh, items in uh, our podcast that we ask uh, all guests. And I would like to get to those uh, now. And the first one is a segment that we call a bold prediction, the world in 10 years. 
and what we ask our guests is to give us their you know, crystal bowl prediction for how the world will look like in 10 years when it comes to the topic of today, so social media, Twitter diplomacy. So that will be my first question to you. What do you think the world will look like in 10 years when it comes to social media and Twitter diplomacy? Well, it, it's really, really difficult to make any prediction uh, for the next decade. Uh, one thing is clear, social media is here to stay. Whether these platforms will still be called Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or TikTok is another question. There will be many more channels, I believe, that we will consider, um, you know, and uh, so, you know, a plethora of choice, uh, which, you know, it will make things a little bit more uh, more difficult. What we will see is, you know, more virtual reality. We've heard about the metaverse. Uh, for those of us old enough to have uh, experienced second life, you know, it's kind of a second life plus, you know, so basically you have your avatars and you're in in imaginary worlds or in, you know, imaginary conference rooms. So it might sound like, you know, why do we need this? Uh, well, I think in 10 years, maybe that'll be the way we will communicate on Teams, for example, on these, you know, um, on these corporate platforms or, you know, on Workplace, which is Facebook's uh, internal communication platform. So I do believe, you know, there it will, you know, just, you know, it won't stop. There will be more and more engagement through social media channels. So my advice is, you know, start early, learn the rules of the game, learn how these social media channels function in order to to master, you know, what is coming in 10 years. You know, if you think about it as a father, you know, of children, you say, oh my God, you know, what's happening to you know, to them in what world will they born where everything is, you know, digital and not only on mobile phones, but then in screens and pop-ups and so on. So uh, it will be a very, very digital and connected world in the next uh, 10 years. How are the, the platforms, the use of the platforms, uh, how are they evolving? Because everything is constantly in flux. You mentioned uh, Instagram, of course. Then TikTok came along uh, took away some of the, I guess, the allure of, of Instagram, although they are all constantly trying to copy each other's uh, features. How is that evolving in terms of uh, the, the Twitter diplomacy? Is it still primarily a Twitter diplomacy or is it also Insta diplomacy, TikTok? diplomacy, whatever that may be. How is that evolving? Well, you know, TikTok, so as I said before, very few leaders have actually a presence on TikTok. And TikTok is once again, mainly used to entertain the home audience. The example here I would give is French President Emmanuel Macron, who has used TikTok very well, um, you know, during the election campaign and also during the pandemic, um, when he had to isolate you know, he took, he was doing a TikTok live to explain to the audience, you know, how important it is to respect uh, the rules to protect uh, yourself against the spread of the uh, coronavirus. So I found that very, uh, very interesting, but I haven't seen any digital diplomacy exchanges uh, on the platform. You have the Israeli prime minister uh, on the platform. The Sheikh Mohammed of uh, the ruler of Dubai is also on the platform. But the use is different. You know, some people will do more broadcastings. Others will, you know, more, you know, funny skits, especially in Latin America. Uh, Nayib Bukele is, uh, is really interesting there. Um, but, you know, it 
One advantage of Twitter compared to uh, Facebook or uh, LinkedIn, Twitter is an open platform in so far as it it is fully indexed by Google. Um, so basically, on Twitter, when you post something, you know, you basically can find it. You know, the the, the content traveled. So you know, this is I think one of the the main advantages. While you know, Facebook and LinkedIn are are, are old gardens. Now on Instagram, very interestingly, there have been some. Example because it's very visually driven, you know, it's the, it's the photo, but it's the stories also. And we've seen pre pandemic interesting exchanges on Instagram with Instagram stories on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. So you have the General Assembly with the leaders doing their speeches, but then on the sidelines, they have these impromptu meetings in the corridors. And there was really interesting to see, uh, you know, what the institutional accounts would post about uh, those meetings. Uh, and, you know, I can just quote the uh, Belgian foreign ministry. They're having an amazing Instagram story about, you know, the, the different meetings of the, the foreign minister at the time, even bumping into then President uh, Trump and then reiterating in the next story that, you know, Belgium is committed to multilateralism. So there is, you know, some kind of Insta diplomacy, Instagram diplomacy, um, but it is still, once again, also in its uh, infancy. But it is very visual, and that's the advantage. That's really interesting with uh, with Instagram. It, I assume it also varies by audience, right? I mean, my my personal impression is that, for example, if you want to reach journalists, all journalists are on Twitter. It seems to be full of journalists, whereas uh, I, you know, Instagram has probably a, a quite distinct different audience uh, I, I would assume with a younger demographic uh, probably and then TikTok even even further so you're absolutely right you know the Twitter is used by you know not by the the general public but by those uh, influencers by journalists by the media and there you know you can send a tweet just the other day the uh, Red Cross uh, sent a tweet from Afghanistan after the earthquake which was then quoted in the FT and on CNN. Uh, so, you know, that's the power of, of social media. You know, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. You know, it's if you have the right one and your tweet gets then amplified on traditional media, you know, that's all you needed. Now, you mentioned some good examples uh, of uh, social media used by uh, world leaders, Jacinda Ardern, the president and the foreign minister of Ukraine and a few others. Do you also have some snafus to share, some things that, that went uh, terribly wrong in terms of how to avoid the pitfalls? Well, you know, what I don't like at all is just, you know, sharing corporate you know, news or, you know, institutional news from, uh, from governments. You know, you mentioned press releases. Well, you know, um, yes, sometimes social media managers are asked, you know, here's a press release, can you please tweet that? Well, you have to adapt a press release, you know, you adapt it to the audience, tell your, your read, always think about your readers, you know, why is it important for my readers and my followers? Um, and then if it is not, please don't tweet it, you know, that's mm. the first thing. We have seen, and you know, uh, the very personal um, and very undiplomatic use of Twitter by the former US President Donald Trump, which I think has put off quite a number of uh, leaders to, to sign up or to basically use social media personally, because his use was uh, uh, unfettered, you know, without any advice from it, his advisors and really kind of as a campaign tool. And, you know, it was a constant 
campaign and constant negativity, um, which I think has not really helped to endear Twitter to, to other world leaders. But that's, I mean, that's interesting, and uh, probably a few of our listeners uh, will be fans of uh, Donald Trump, but even if you don't like him, arguably you could say that he was the most powerful social media users among all the world leaders, right? Absolutely. And the one who had, in his own way, really figured out a lot of the things that you uh, highlighted before. Uh, be personal, you know, be unscripted, uh, engage with others, react to what others are saying. So he did all of these things to a massive audience. Yeah. And he was divisive, which really helped, you know, his tweets travel and, you know, people reacting to it in either way, you know, positive or negative. And, you know, I mean, he threatened war with North Korea uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, we, we know what that led to, you know, at, at uh, the end, his, uh, you know, he was banned. He was banned for life, or at least for the foreseeable future uh, from from the platform. Um so, you know, yes, he was effective uh, just by being divisive, but I don't think that should be uh, the way forward. If we want to have a global community, you know, there are certain rules of engagement. You know, I'm not saying everything has to be lovey-dovey, but, you know, we can, there are ways we can, you know, we can talk about issues or we can, we can even, you know, reply to each other. But what is interesting, this, you know, as you mentioned before, you know, this, Twitter diplomacy or diplomacy, uh, this two-way conversation doesn't happen very often. And also, if you look at the U.S. administration accounts, not even not only under Trump but also under Obama and now um, President Biden, the State Department, the White House, and the official POTUS account, which is for the President of the United States, the official administration accounts do not follow any other foreign leader. And that, I think, is a huge issue because, you know, the U.S., which, you know, was always seen as a leader in terms of social media, but the U.S. administration is definitely not a leader in digital diplomacy, but, you know, because you really want that engagement uh, and that two-way conversation. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, world leaders, politicians, uh, of course, but this podcast uh, is called Business Diplomacy Today. So it looks at diplomacy, if you will, at international relations, at geopolitics as well, from a business angle. So a lot of our listeners are uh, business leaders or, uh, you know, they run companies. What about them? Should they also engage in diplomacy? Should they open up the social media accounts? Should they use those tools to weigh in on global issues? What would you advise these people? Yes, 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 yes. Do a Zelensky, as I said before. No, I mean, look, uh, I think it is very important that CEOs and leaders of uh, corporations, companies become the first ambassador of the uh, company, of the organization. Uh, they have to lead the way, and I want them to do that also on social media. Now, they might not even be the most followed. You know, there might be other people in the organization, you know, in on the executive board who have more followers or even junior staff, you know, who will be more active. And I don't want them to, to be active every day. Uh, you know, there is no, you don't have to, post what you have for breakfast, lunch and dinner, those times are passé. I want you as an executive to use social media as kind of the public intranet, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sharing good news or, you know, sharing what your company stands for, what your company is doing, not 
every day, not every week, not every month, but when you have something to say. Uh, I think this is really, really important not to say, oh, I have to post. No, you know, really make that, you know, very selective. You know, you have business to do as an executive. You don't, you know, we don't expect you to post every day, but I expect you to be leading on maybe not only Twitter, but also LinkedIn and uh, other platforms, you know, and once you've mastered it, you know, maybe, you know, trial Instagram or, you know, even TikTok, but we cannot impose this to executives. Um, You know, it's, um, I've always tried with the executives and the companies I've been working for and it never worked. Um, So, but I think it's very important that you know, if an executive, for example, has in the past set up an account once and uh, it is now lies now dormant, uh, there I have quite a number of uh, examples or, you know, it doesn't, it, it lacks a cover picture, uh, then I would say, you know, delete your account um, because, you know, you're not, you cannot represent your company with such, you know, uh, a trail of devastation in your social, uh, on social media. So I think this is really important, encouraging them to, to have a you know respectable presence on social media, and I would always advise to use Twitter. The other beauty of Twitter is also it becomes a lightning rod. You know, you're defending your company. Uh, so if in a crisis situation, um, who's going to be you know who's going to speak first? You know, uh, you know who's going to defuse the crisis? You know, you can do that from the corporate account, or well, you'd say, well, you know, our CEO has this account. Maybe he should weigh in personally, or our head of communications has account. So it's kind of the lightning rod in case of crisis communications. I find it very, very important. Mm-hmm. So yes, you know, if you're an executive, um, don't hide on Twitter, you know, don't hide on social media, be out there. You know, your uh, staff probably is on social media. So encouraged to, you know, you, you should actually be, become like the conductor of, you know, uh, an orchestra because mm-hmm. there's different voices um, and that's the new kind of communication you have to organize, you know, in, with different voices on different channels. Uh, and that makes the company. It's not just, you know, the corporate account, but it's all the different voices uh, uh, tweeting or posting in unison. Okay, so all executives out there, get on social media. Don't be afraid. doesn't have to be constantly that you're posting, but I also understand you correctly that you do need some consistency. So once every other year is probably not enough. So you need to have some kind of a continuous uh, social presence there, but it doesn't have to be on a daily basis. And probably also, uh, I would say your advice would be you have to post yourself, maybe not 100% of the posts, but uh, you can't really delegate it to your communications team entirely. You can delegate it to your advisor, to the communications team, but you have to be absolutely in sync. You have to know what they're posting. You know, so I'll give you another example. There is an executive of an international organization where the communications advisor says, I cannot la- let this person loose on social media. So what happens, he will send via text the tweets what he wants to say and the head of communication posts it for him. So you have that uh, kind of level of security too. But basically, you know, you have to be in sync. You, you have to know what the team is tweeting for you. Uh, and I think that that is very important. Uh, and I think Barack Obama was a very good example. You know, obviously he had a huge team yeah. uh, to do it f- uh, for him. But you can't, I mean, you, do, you lose the interaction, right? If you have this uh, barrier in between, the safety filter or whatever you may want to call it, you can't really have this interaction 
or can you? Well, not necessary. I mean, it's, it all depends. How do you, you know? How do you react to comments? You know, do you do you give a like just to acknowledge that you've read them? You know, you know, for small accounts, you can still do that. Once you have over a hundred thousand or you know, two hundred thousand or a million followers, it gets very very difficult to be personal. But then mm. it's kind of sharing these personal moments. So that can be short videos. Okay. That can be you know photos that you where we understand that you took them yourself. It could be a selfie. Look, selfies uh, is the way that people communicate, whether we like them or not. And, you know, so, so that's the way to be, to be approachable. Yeah. Executive Briefing, what you should read now. Most of our listeners are very busy, so they have some time to listen to podcasts such as ours. But we also want to give them one piece of advice if they have some time traveling or whatever it may be to read something. Could be a book, an article, whatever it may be, something that they should absolutely read in your opinion. There are very, very few books about digital diplomacy out there. What I would recommend actually is read Twitter or read LinkedIn, you know, kind of immerse yourself in this culture, um, you know, but to in order to read this well, it depends who you follow. So uh, don't follow media organizations because they will send you a, a new tweet every 20 minutes. You know, nobody needs to read that or watch that, but follow key journalists uh, or key influencers that you want to hear from. So be very, very selective. And the more selective you are, you know, the more you will get out of it because you will realize there is really interesting information coming from those, those voices. So if you find those, those voices, it, you know, it, that's really my advice on, uh, on reading Twitter. Make sure you, know, you have a curated, you can even put them in a list. Uh, you, know, you don't even need to follow them. And, but basically, you will be able to, to read their tweets. And I think it will be very interesting and you will find articles that maybe you didn't you know or links to articles that maybe you didn't uh, read in your daily uh, press briefing about your organization but you know something that kind of opens your mind and uh, i think this is really the the trick to to survive on social media be very selective on who you follow um, because you know those are the people who bring you you know the the important or interesting news great advice and one of the people that you should absolutely follow is of course Matthias Lufkens himself and we'll make sure that we put the link to his Twitter account as well as to other social media presences in the show notes so if you want to find out more about him and his work you should definitely check that out Matthias, thank you very much for this great conversation. It was uh, great to hear your insight and your uh, thoughts and advice on this evolving and challenging but also very interesting world of social media. This was another episode of the Business Diplomacy podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe to it on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, we would be delighted if you left a review there or rated it. You can also go to our website at businessdiplomacy.today to check out the show notes of this episode. That's it for today and thanks for listening. Thanks, Matthias. Bye-bye.